Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to this week's New Statesman interview. This week, I'm joined by Owen Kingston and Tom Black, the director and writer of Crisis What Crisis, an immersive theatre experience by the Parabolic, which allows you to try and save the 1974 to 1979 Labour government's bacon. So I'm joined by the writer and director of Crisis What Crisis, uh, interactive experience about the 1974-79 Labour government in which you, the audience, are given the task of keeping the, the rickety wheel that will set Labour government going. So something I'm sure loads of Venice podcast listeners will be very interested in. I'm hoping to go later on in the run, but... Uh, I got actually that kind of weird mid thing where you're not pinged, but where a friend phones you and says, oh, I've tested positive. I'm waiting for, yeah, waiting to find out whether or not it's like, and in an odd way, I realise I find that more annoying. Why, why do I have to go through this process of, of, of finding out for myself whether or not I have this? We had a cancel show off the back of exactly that back in June before we started on this run. It's, yeah, it's really annoying limbo space to be in so i'm very controlling and one of the things i've always been very impressed by with any form of theater i remember simon stevens once talking about you know you can't legislate for what the audience will laugh at and sometimes they'll laugh at something and you will go okay well i you, you people don't get me at all obviously this is something in which the audience actually gets to being controlled. so what is that like as a director who i'm afraid i always imagined directors as being quite controlling parts like many <laughs> controlling people i like to imagine it's a widespread problem it's so much fun when you get into it but to start with it is absolutely terrifying and when we first started doing this a few years ago we did this with a, a show that was set during the second world war the narrative of the show was an alternate history uh, second world war where britain was being invaded by the nazis the audience were became the war cabinet through a series of unfortunate events. Uh, Parliament gets destroyed and they're designated survivors and suddenly they're up and they have to run the country. Uh, when we started doing it, we genuinely didn't know whether it was going to work or completely fall apart into a total mess. So obviously we put as much work as possible into trying to make sure that it couldn't fall apart. And that, that meant creating quite a strong structure narratively for the show because I've been to plenty of improvised things in the past where it does just sort of send into chaos. So we made sure that we had a, a very strong narrative structure with certain plot beats happening at certain times based off film structure really, the idea that there need to be certain emotional beats that land at certain places in order to feel like it's a story well told. But we didn't prescribe the detail of what those beats would be. We just knew the places in the show where they had to come. So we decided on various things that could happen at those points. And then the decisions of the audience meant that one or other of those things would would fall. And then that could determine the things that happened later in the show. And it meant that the whole thing stayed within a, a sensible 
like the chaos stayed contained within a, a good shell that could hold it and, and still leave you feeling like you'd experienced a good story. But precisely what the things happened were was was down to the audience's decisions. Uh, and that's the same model that we've taken in, in making this show. We've just sort of dialed it up to 11 really yeah yeah i think the 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 challenge we have when, when setting out with this um is because when, when i originally pitched the idea to owen it was not long after we'd finished one of the runs of this world war ii show and i suggested it as a as a board game initially because i didn't really think you know well is this is there enough drama theatricality in the winter of discontent and parliamentary procedure however owen very quickly said i think there is a show here and so suddenly we, we, we grabbed the challenge of like well the second world war it's obvious that people are going to buy into those stakes there's an obvious audience there no one How, wants the nazis yeah. to win on their watch Exactly. You know, it's a real good, juicy enemy to, to put people against. Exactly. But then when we were starting from a new blank piece of paper and saying, like, we're going to get people to care about inflation in 1979, that was a rather different, perhaps lower stakes to some people think. But what's been wonderful is that audiences really do buy in. Even sort of, you know, sceptical or confused audience members, they often come up to us afterwards and they'll say, in the first 20 minutes, I was a bit like, what, what is this? But by the end, I was I was pumping the air and really, really excited with everyone else, like, really bought in. And, and as Owen says, that's because the structure that, that we, we use in all our shows in parabolic in some way shape or form rewards audience input and agency to a major degree and, and you can feel that things you did earlier on are going to properly change things later on inevitably not least because many of our listeners will have seen it on the national theater live or seen it when it's been on on tour the comparison people will draw is with this house which is a you know a regular a regular play i think james yeah, yeah. Which um, James Graham once jokingly compared to you know it's a bit like the Star Wars prequels, right? You you know at the end then then Darth Vader arrives, and you know the final image of this house is Darth Vader arriving. Now, of course, the the magic of your place, people can avert the 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 rise of Darth Vader if they 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 so choose. Oh, and you as you were writing it, talk me through what is the process of writing this type of play about a historical event where the audience can change history as well. Well, given given what Owen was saying about about the structure and how we operate, it, it, obviously long sort of scripted sections with 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 agreed dialogue and stuff are very rare in things like this. You occasionally have a few here and there to kind of make, tell something very clearly because if you're trying to explain to the audience that what they do matters, it's good to have that in quite a controlled way. But broadly speaking, the big task was actually coming up with well, doing a lot of research, figuring out the, you know the, the timeline, modifying a few things. Of course, in the show we have actually mashed together a few things. Obviously, the winter of discontent didn't all happen across one night really, and of course, the winter of discontent was actually over by the time the, the famous motion of no confidence happened it was actually a couple of months but we sort of for dramatic reasons made it all happening on one night so that was an early decision that was was made on the writing front but the big thing is is actually creating the characters because you, you start from well again started from a blank piece of paper and was like right who are the archetypes the kinds of people you'd expect to see in a something that's a piece of political theater but b something that is a different era to now so in the 1970s we started from like okay well politics is going to look a bit different there's going to be more more outwardly uh, for example more people with more regional accents we wrote that down as like a basic thing of like actually going, going back in time to the 70s you would find more people that have come through the trade union movement to sort of right at the top of politics you would have representatives of, diff of different parts of of the media, different parts of, say, the trade union movement itself. I started with sort of these sort of kind of stock ideas and then started working with some actors quite quickly on who they, who they would be and then gave them lots of lovely, well, not too much research to do and too much backstory, mm -hmm. but having written them a few paragraphs here and there and then start sort of improvising with them and creating a sense of like, right, okay, so at the various beats in the show, we're going to need you, you and you, you represent the Treasury, you're from the trade union, for example, you're going to be in this scene, let's make you comfortable with it. And very quickly, we ended up going into rehearsal and started sort of practicing things. And the key thing is they have to be able to improvise mm -hmm. in character with knowledge of the period and 
you know not be able to be caught out by people who know what they're you know know the period very well some people try yeah. <laughs> oh yes yeah you know when when yeah there's a certain audience type that comes to this kind of thing that wants to try and poke holes in it or find out where the, the joins are and in order to to get the thing to feel immersive to feel like you're there that you're in that world and part of the same world as the actors it has to be as seamless as possible and we have to try and avoid the audience banging into walls you know like the edge of the experience so that working hard on on that is is a big thing for us yeah in terms of the yeah people who want to see the joins I, i've spoken to several people who've, who've gone to see the play one of whom is a treasury official who obviously came in very much kind of like you know well i've i've thought a lot about how i could have done this differently and the other person is a, a massive theater enthusiast so similarly is kind of very interested in the craft of doing it and therefore also has this kind of like okay well i'm really intrigued to see where i can poke i mean obviously all audience is lovely but which 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 of those types is the one that kind of gave you the most sort of sleepless nights in the the writing process and the directing process when it comes to the writing i think it, it is it is the the probably the, the former sort of the the, the politics heads um, because often they're also history heads and as, as you just touched on they are the ones who, who like to, to poke holes in it sometimes i mean the, the best feeling is when someone comes along maybe because in the beginning of the show it, before it kicks off we sort of gradually let the audience in and they can walk around the office that you're in during that bit you sometimes find people sort of poking holes at things and wanting to talk to actors and catch them out often when they realize that's going to be quite hard because the actors are very on it and all of the information in the room is broadly accurate like one little thing is someone complimented us a couple of nights ago on all the people that you can phone during the show because one of the things that we've done in a few shows is that the phones in the room actually work. They're all connected to a different room and there's actors in there answering the phone. All the people you can talk to are the real people you would talk to. So it's all the MPs have got their real names, all the leaders of the various trade unions and so on. And so that often goes a long way to making people go, like, oh, okay, no, this isn't just some sort of 70s cosplay operation. We are, you know, really there. Those people are the most intimidating people to sort of try and get on side because then one of the, I guess the most difficult they can be is when they've decided in their head that something would happen a certain way and then because of the way we've structured the show or indeed just a different historical opinion that thing doesn't necessarily happen that way they start sort of arguing and they feel a bit like the well the sort of the 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 misnomer representation of King Canute at that point where they're just arguing with the tide and we have to find a way of in-world being like, no, that has happened this way. You might not think it should have done because the show obviously is so built on, you know, it's it's like it's being in, like, like being an episode of The Thick of It as some reviews have said, like if that happens, we just try and fold it in and make them see the funny side of like, well, I'm sure you did expect that to happen a certain way, but actually inflation's gone up by 4%. That's going to be a problem. How are we going to fix it now? You know, embrace the chaos and make it fun. That's, that's I guess, the most the most intimidating type. Is the, is, we, yeah. When we started out, making this show we didn't really intend to make a farce but it is a sort of interactive political farce and I think that's partly due to the events of the time you know truth is stranger than fiction and there's some pretty wild things in there that, <laughs> that end up being quite amusing when you're uh, yeah doing it and the, the best ones are often actually the things the audience decide to do on the night just things that we hadn't really thought of things so that's that's the wonderful thing with the, with the structure that we've got is there is space for brand new things like last night and only last night yeah. the whole audience thanks to a snap decision made in the opening half hour, got obsessed with buying £31 million worth of bacon from West Germany uh, as part of some backroom deal organised by Roy Jenkins over in Brussels, and it was going to help us out with something. But long after that problem had actually been resolved uh, in exchange for the bacon purchase, we were still like, hang on a minute, we've now got £31 million worth of bacon, and it's headed to Felixstowe, and Felixstowe's actually going to see rioting quite soon. So is this bacon going to get, you know, what's going to happen to the bacon? It's going to sit on the dock. Yeah, so the, so the, the, the press, because the press obviously are factoring the show, the actors doing the press stuff were suddenly being like, what's going on with this bacon? Is this, this is you know, the British, British government said it's bringing home the bacon, literally. So again, none of that had ever happened before, but it was all because of an audience member getting interested in some bacon deal in, uh, in West Germany. 
obviously said it kind of started life as an idea for a board game and it obviously just it feels very reminiscent of certain kind of sessions of Dungeons and Dragons where the players kind of go like oh, I'm going to go down this kind of slightly weird rab- rabbit hole why 74 to 79 well, I do love this house. That was that was a big factor. But actually, I, I got into, into 70s politics a few years ago. I actually wrote a, wrote a book, my, fr- my friend Jack Tyndale. I wrote a book called Agent Lavender, The Flight of Harold Wilson, which was an alternate history about uh, what if Wilson had actually been a KGB spy. Obviously, he wasn't, but it's, this is in that world where he gets found out as being such. And that really got me into the area. I did a lot of, obviously, research and reading for that. And I started, it, it felt, I don't know, for me, it felt a bit like a sort of forgotten about era as well. This was actually just before I'd seen this house. Um, and it and it really, yeah. It's it, and there are many parallels with now. It's about and actually, I think the Star Wars prequels thing is a really good example. Of course, it applies to this house, but also to this. Of like, yes, we, I'm, you know, I was born in 1990. I very much grew up in the in the, you know the post 80s world and what had happened to, to the West and certainly to the UK economy. This idea of there was something different before that. The popular history probably goes, you know, Churchill wins the war, Attlee builds the NHS, some other stuff happens, and then Mrs. Thatcher <laughs> deregulates the stock market and everything else. Like, that's broadly what people understand to be. Whereas the, like, we often describe it as, you know, because by no means is the show sort of a, a hagiography or a love letter to the post-war consensus, you know, especially because by the late 70s it is being held together with sellotape. That is the tone of the show of, like, if you want to really get behind it and keep it going together, the best you can do is just sort of keep that sellotape in place. You know, you can try and take some radical steps in various different directions. You can step to the right, step to the left. You can try and go down the middle and keep it all going. But um, I thought those were both those were three really fascinating possibilities. And to see what a modern audience would do with that, with yeah. all their different biases, I think that's the interesting thing we've seen. Mm-hmm. We thought we'd kind of guess what sort of, you know, broadly liberal left-leaning audiences in theatre, which we often get, would want to do. It's been a lot more varied than we think. Yes. We've had people want to go very far to the left. Some people really reject actually going sort of down a Benite route, for example. We've had people, even quite quite left audience is actually like no that they, they decide to actually almost steal Thatcher's clothes as it were and because one of the options is you can get a stockbroker to come in and assist you and you can kind of end up getting Jim Callahan to introduce a sort of light version of Thatcherism and we call those nights the sort of new labor early endings <laughs> where they end up pursuing a lot of things which uh, and uh, the argument they make is like it's better us doing it than than her you know and that's uh, <laughs> that's not something necessarily expected to happen as often no, as it does not, but, but it is it's yeah. quite common yeah and I think Doing this show, when we were doing it in 2019, we were doing it against a background of Parliament being deadlocked again, you know, there being no overall majority. And that was really interesting to be doing the show in November of that year. And we had the show on while the election happened. We, 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 We got a little bit hubristic and we had a little election party which ended up being quite depressing oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) for us anyway but yeah i think that's that's been a a really interesting thing as well is tying it back to that era and essentially you know these things just repeat don't they yeah is this weirdness where it does feel like essentially people's idea of british history as they say the nhs oh some kind of you know liberal Six, swinging 60s yeah. oh well Thatcher turned up yeah British it, Leyland maybe yeah. uh, that rings a bell like, yeah. and it's just this utterly mad time like yeah you know, the kind of the yeah, the fact that there's there's almost a military coup, right? Yeah, like, <laughs> well, yeah, funny you should mention that. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, so this is this thing is then I assume without wanting to ruin it for myself, as I am going to go, I, I assume that there are kind of failure states. One oh, of yes. which I would be unsur- I would assume one of them is you know. Mountbatten and Co. wandering in with with the just, you might so, very well think that, <laughs> <laughs> but do the because in some ways it is it is like a li- yeah you know, it's it's, a, it's like a live action board game and some people have been known to you know turn over the yeah you know, my partner actually when she was about thirteen was playing a board game with her 
sister who's about a year older than her, and she turned over. Bear in mind, yeah, this is 14, right? You probably should not be turning it. Turned over the the table rather than lose. Do people ever turn over the table at any of the sort of more kind of... They sometimes try. Yeah. You can't really because uh, you've got 35 audience in the room. The, the show's designed in such a way that no one person can dominate it to the extent that they completely skew what happens. So much requires the, the cooperation of different audience members together in order to get something done. And I guess that's the beauty of it, really. It becomes self-correcting. And, and all the shows we've done like this have, have had that built into them. Uh, I know with For King and Country, our World War II show, you know, you, you would have a, a war cabinet. Somebody would be chosen as the prime minister. If they then went on to make a, a, a boatload of stupid decisions, there'd be a vote of no confidence in them and then it would shift and the audience would do that themselves we wouldn't even have to to prompt it because the you know it, yeah it's self-correcting mm-hmm. that provides a certain level of safety you know our fear when in in setting out to do this sort of thing was that the audience wouldn't go with it or that it would uh, it would sort of fall apart or crumble what we discovered was that you can really rely on the audience wanting to have a good time you know, they bought a ticket and they're there to, 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 to play the game with you. It's very rare that you, you get people turn up to, to the theatre in order to have a fight. You know, they might go to the pub to get into a fight with somebody, but they don't come to a theatre to do that. So you, you've got a reliable group of people there every night who are going to want to have a good time and want to play the game with you. And as long as the game is robust, which it is, and we might go to great lengths to make sure it is, then that, that will always work. It's interesting, we sometimes get like the, the theatre establishment be a bit sniffy about what we're doing. You know, it's not proper theatre because there's a game involved. But there is a huge lineage of this sort of work, particularly within political theatre in the 20th century. Bertolt Brecht famously said he, he, he wanted theatre to be more like a boxing match. He wanted to see people like on their feet, really invested in the outcomes of what was playing out on the, on the stage. And I think we see that in our shows. People Because people are able to get involved, they get really invested in what's going on. It's a lot like Boal's Forum Theatre, which is a you know from the sort of sixties and seventies, where it, mostly in South America, he would take small communities, find out what the problem was in that community, and then create a show about it and allow the audience to change the show on the fly. I guess it's just that on steroids, really. What we're doing, we've we've, we've built a structure that welcomes people into the same world as the actors and then we allow them to to play in it and and i think on yeah and and then just on the on the sort of turning the table thing yes obviously nobody likes to lose inverted commas and so on like one of the things that we do though is we make the failure states as you call them if you're headed towards maybe for example not winning the voting of no confidence for for example if, if it's looking like the show will rather decisively not do that that's when some of the more interesting but still not necessarily good in terms of you know uh, positive outcomes, outcomes yeah. <laughs> will come onto the table but crucially those outcomes are fun to play through they give you new stuff to do and they give you like a new extreme scenario to play through so that does tend to focus but if people are a bit like oh no we've really we've really messed this up actually their last 25 minutes of the show will be quite different because suddenly we throw some new things at them based on how badly things have been going we don't make people trudge through a sense of like yeah you're probably going to lose probably going to lose probably going to lose you've lost Um, it's always a nail biter or we see it coming and then some other problems come your way and you have to deal with those avoid what I always think of as the monopoly problem yes oh yes yeah (laughs) I'm always just astonished at were people just more patient when Monopoly was was, was <laughs> It's just a really bad game. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was. It does what it was originally meant to do, as I'm sure I don't need to tell you guys. Yeah. You know, it was it was meant to show that monopolies are bad and that and that uh, land ownership shouldn't be handled that way and so on. So it, it teaches that. I don't think it really does anymore because people just think that it's not really fun or real. Or, yeah. yeah.
If you've been enjoying our podcast and want to find out more about what we think and some of our colleagues too, then why not subscribe to The New Statesman? You can get 12 weeks for £12. Go to newstatesman.com forward slash subscribe 12. Don't forget, you can now listen to our special Germany Elects podcast series, which explores the campaign, the runners and riders, and the big issues ahead of Germany's election on September 26th. Available now on the World Review podcast feed and at newstatesman.com slash Germany. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. So we talked a bit in the first section about games because to editorialise from the internet, I always think one of the joys of us is look, the difference between theatre and cinema is that we, the audience, are there, right? And the, the the magic of it is that there is a, you know, whether it's just the heightened emotion of watching it in the flesh or in this case the audience interacting and joining in the playing of the game, right? It That is the thing that you cannot do in a view cinema, as lovely as view cinemas are. But I want to talk a bit about, you know, about board games. Yeah, so we usually ask our interviews to recommend sort of three things. So we recommend our kind of, you know, favourite board games. Well, I suppose I, I should declare an interest because it is by by someone I know. But there's speaking of Monopoly, someone I know has put together a game called Magnate or Magnate the First City. And that genuinely came out of a desire to have a game that plays the way that you maybe as a child hoped Monopoly would. And it's a really fun sort of Euro game, if you like your board game terminology, version of sort of a property game where you have a big, big map of a city and you've got these 3D buildings and you buy land, you put the buildings on them and then you have to move tenants in and then you maybe watch the price, the land price go up. The property market is booming after all. But of course, at the end of the game, the market will always crash. It's got its own little political lesson there, but it's really fun to sort of be competing with other people to try and get your buildings as valuable as possible. But any, anything you do to improve an area is likely to help someone else's prices as well and so on. And that's just like, it's a really fun, I mean, yeah, I'm really into economic games as, as making crisis what crisis might suggest. <laughs> and I've, yeah, I've spent many hours play, playing Magnate, so I really enjoy that. I'm big into economic driven games as well. I, I love the sort of the 18xx series of games, the railway things. 1870 particularly is my absolute favourite because the stock market mechanics in that I find absolutely fascinating you can you know you can, you can end up with a really rubbish railway system but you can still pull off a win so that's really good I also love Twilight Struggle as I'm sure like so many people do <laughs> yeah. in fact I'd love to, to to make a show that was about that uh, you know that that, that 
struggle the, the the cold war we haven't really wrapped our heads around exactly how to do that yet but yeah i think there's there's just something absolutely beautiful about the game and it's so finely balanced it's yeah it's, yeah, it's, it's so um so yeah for, for listeners who haven't which i should yeah one you should it's a brilliant two-player game you can play it on steam you can play it in person you can so that i'm about to go on holiday with i show us where the time this is said but i will be mid-holiday with another couple and we're discussing whether or not we should they also play board games it's like well we could take we could take Twilight Struggle. And it's like, I feel like you you can't. It's I'm I'm I, it's a bit like you know when you watch say a couple play Articulate, which I don't actually think is a very good board game, mm-hmm. but is great at causing fights. Yes. Right? Yeah. If you really want to to m- make an otherwise happy couple scream at each other about how the clue was obvious, yes. then Articulate is is great for that. Yeah. But um, it's quite complex, and you know it's a bit intense, and you know. You want to have a big fight over whether you should play Khrushchev's secret speech at that exact moment or not. <laughs> yeah. I think the thing that's really clever about it, Twilight Struggle, is it's very complex, but actually you can, when you're learning to play it, it's still really good fun. Even though it takes a while for you to realise, oh, actually, that's actually the point of war games, right? That's this, yeah, and it's, it's, it's the way that it manages to keep it balanced right up until the... Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's astonishingly good, yeah. There's very few games that can match that, I think. Yeah. The other kind of, yes, we like to leave, as well as, you know, People should go out, see the play. Recommendations are so, you know, if at the end of this someone goes, I, I desperately want to learn more about the 1970s, um, what should they go out and read? Read Agent Lavender. <laughs> Tom's Thank book. you, Owen. Yes, you, can find, you can find Agent Lavender and, and many other books at Sea Lion Press, my uh, my alternate history publisher. But yeah, I mean, I mean, State of Emergency, Seasons in the Sun, Crisis What Crisis, Wellwood Turner as well is very good they're, they're all places places that I basically stole and relabeled lots of anecdotes and put them into the show in various ways so they're all fantastic places to, to start and go and see this house or find it on NT Live if you haven't yes. yet yeah super piece of work that is and we, we all have to make a living in different ways but I think the slight change I think people always forget what a great historian Dominic Sandbrook is because people associate him in the popular mind with that oh it's election time time for the mail to do one of those weird you know alternate histories where it's just like ed Miliband became prime minister yeah. and the united <laughs> kingdom physically split into two, <laughs> two yes and occasionally i have people around and i'll see they're seeing them and it's like they're like wow you you have a lot of dominic sandbrook and i was like no 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 it's really it's really good guys actually it's, it's really good trust me on this you know at no point does the weird alternate history happen in yeah yeah it's, i don't know it's a bit like morrissey isn't it it's like so you feel. Oh no, I've got these bits of his work. You've written an alternate history about yeah this fascinating yeah. kind of thing, which is really widely widely believed. You know, and, and yeah, to the point that someone I mentioned this, and they kind of said, oh, but you know, but you know, he could have been. Like, Look, I think we're now at the point where we can safely say that it would have come out from the KGB archive by this point. Not least because you know it would be a tremendous boast. Right. Final one is you know. An alternate history you'd like to do next, whether it's play or play. Oh, that's uh, that's real good, isn't it? Mm. I mean, we've yeah. talked a bit about US elections. Mm, we've, ne- yeah. we've not settled on a particular era for that, but we, I think we would both be very keen to do an election-based show. Yes. Yeah. I, I, that's partly just through being massive fans of the West Wing as well, and the idea that if we had the budget, we'd, we'd make our own little kind of bit of the White House. But that would be that would be something. That one, yeah, picking a really interesting moment yeah. in history, and you, and you know whether it's the yeah one of the one of those where there were three maybe well allegedly three candidates, you know whether that's ninety two or sixty eight or something, mm. that'd be interesting. I guess then some people have to be working for George Wallace, which probably wouldn't be that. <laughs> you might get some people wanting to do that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but an, another, actually, on a similar note, another thing that I, I'm interested in doing, I think we might we might have probably 
soaked up all of the possible sort of labor geeks who want to come and see something like this but if we did want to do like some kind of sequel to this to crisis the idea i've got in my head is actually a sort of a sort of bookend at the other end of this period of labor history and do basically a by-election in the mid 90s probably a fictional one to make make it sort of have maybe different parties have got different chances and then yeah and then do so because obviously if you do an do a show about the 97 election however you do everyone kind of knows how it's going to end but if it's sort of maybe 1995 by-election it's like right okay Tony's popular, let's show that he can win, et cetera, et cetera. But then I, I really like the idea of the dynamic of, as one often gets in by-elections, the local party who, you know, know these streets, know these wards, know what to do. And then particularly in the, in the 90s, you know, the sharp-suited people from, from HQ come down and sort of ride roughshod over everything. And, and well, the clashes between those might be quite fun to play out, albeit uh, albeit very geeky. So that one might, <laughs> might have to just reserve that one for a short story and put it on paper somewhere. But, um, yeah. yeah, that'd be interesting. I'm very much looking forward to seeing space. So- you know, how can listeners go and see this play? At the moment, we are sold out at time of writing and all that. Uh, we are, however, very hopeful to come back. Um, the, the current run cannot uh, extend any further. But uh, if you'd like to... hand the building back, basically. Yes, yeah. that's the issue. It's Because it takes place, as in case that wasn't clear, on the floor of a real office building. So unfortunately, they need that floor back. However, if you go to paraboliktheatre.com, yeah. um, so paraboliktheatre.com, you can sign up to the company's mailing list. That will obviously alert you to, to as and when it's coming back. And you can also find us on social media as Parabolic Theatre. You can find me on social media as Tom Black UK on, on Twitter. Oh, and do you tweet? You do tweet yeah, 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 I mean Kingston yeah. on Twitter as well. And Kingston. Yeah, um, Kingston yeah. And there will be all, all of those channels will be shouting about it as soon as you possibly can. But <laughs> we've, sadly, we've at done, the moment, yeah. this is now the third run of this show that we've yeah. done. And uh, there's clearly a lot more life left in it. So we are really keen to do it again and it's really just a question of finding a building and hopefully finding uh, people to partner with the new diorama theatre have been absolutely amazing in making this run happen in the middle of covid times uh, essentially they have taken all of the financial risk off our shoulders which has been an absolute gift so i think we've struggled to find better partners than that mm. but uh, but yeah if we're able to find a place to do it again in the not too distant future i think we're, we're all guns blazing for that and on that note there are very occasionally returns during this run yes. and the new diorama of the people to email about that we'll yes. keep an eye on their social media in fact so. I think they're running a, a list you've been listening to the New Statesman interview with me Stephen Bush our music is Devil with the Devil which is licensed under Creative Commons if you've enjoyed the New Statesman podcast please do leave a favourable review and do make sure to check those books out from your local library or preferred independent bookstore When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Hello, Freddie here. I want to tell you about a new way you can support the New Statesman's independent journalism. Every morning I send out Morning Call, our daily newsletter covering everything you need to know about British politics. It's free to sign up, plus for just £3 a month, you'll get a recommended daily piece of ours sent to you in full, plus exclusive polling analysis from Ben Walker, a weekly update from Will Dunn, and our featured piece on Sundays. If you enjoy this podcast, you'll love Morning Call. Head to morningcall.substack.com and subscribe now.